Acts 16, verse 1 through 34. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those, place, in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate onto the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Tyratara a seller of purple goods, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptised, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. 
And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Then when the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptised at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. And so far our scripture reading. We'll also read from the Heidelberg Catechism from Lord's Day 25. You'll find that in your Book of Praise on page 539. Lord's Day 25. Since then faith alone makes us share in Christ and all his benefits... Where does this faith come from? From the Holy Spirit who works it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and strengthens it by the use of the sacraments. What are the sacraments? The sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals. They were instituted by God so that by their use he might the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. And this is the promise that God graciously grants us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. Are both the word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed. The Holy Spirit teaches us in the gospel and assures us by the sacraments that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. How many sacraments has Christ instituted in the new covenant? Two, holy baptism and holy supper. The sermon I'm privileged to read this afternoon was prepared by Reverend Van Delden for this service and he has chosen 
as Amen Song, hymn 61, verse 1. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, believe and be saved. That's the gospel message in just four words. Believe and be saved. Jesus said in Mark 16, verse 16, Whoever believes and is baptised will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And from what we just read in Acts 16, Luke recorded these words of Paul and Silas to the Philippian jailer, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And Paul also wrote to the Romans, chapter 10, verse 9, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's hard to overestimate the importance of faith. Already back in Lord's Day 7, we learned that only those are saved who by true faith accept Christ as their Lord and Saviour. The Catechism has spent 14 Lord's Days on defining what true faith believes. The Catechism has spent another Lord's Day describing what faith does and still another explaining that faith alone saves apart from good works. Our Catechism clearly sees the importance of faith and now in Lord's Day 25, the Catechism asks and answers the question from where true faith comes. This afternoon I preach to you the word of God with this theme. Through the word and sacraments, the spirit works and strengthens saving faith in the crucified saviour. And we'll consider three things. First, the spirit and the gifting of faith. Second, the scriptures and the working of faith. And the third place, the sacraments and the strengthening of faith. The spirit and gifting of faith. In the previous Lord's Days, the Catechism has refuted the teaching of Rome, namely that salvation is a combined effort, a cooperation between God and man. The Catechism has rejected the saving merit of good works and also emphasised that salvation is by faith alone. And this is something that virtually all Christians believe, apart from those who are in the Church of Rome. Salvation is by faith alone. But that does not mean that all Christians have escaped the idea that salvation is a cooperative affair. For when it comes to the source of saving faith, there are many Christians who answer, Faith comes from within man. Many Christians believe that God has made salvation possible in Jesus Christ, but it remains up to the free will of man to embrace Jesus Christ as Saviour or to reject him. Many Christians believe that despite the fall into sin, all men have retained the ability within themselves to believe. But scripture rejects the idea that men have the ability to believe of themselves. Scripture rejects the notion that faith arises from within man himself. 
and it teaches that man is by nature spiritually dead and incapable of embracing Christ in true faith. Paul says in Ephesians 2, verse 1 and 2, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So as a result of his fall into sin, fallen man is by nature spiritually dead. And let me explain what it means to be spiritually dead. It means that although fallen man is still mentally alive and intellectually very capable of accomplishing great things in the realm of science, medicine and technology, he is incapable of understanding and embracing spiritual truths about God. Although man's heart still functions and although man is capable of displaying love on the horizontal plane, he is incapable of loving God. Although man's will still functions and although he makes choices between good and evil every day of his life, he is incapable of making the most important choice, namely to serve God and do God's will. Let me show you this by quoting a few passages of scripture that speak about man's inability to understand spiritual truths. In Romans 3 verse 11 we read, There is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. And in Ephesians 4 verse 18, Their understanding is darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them. And also in 1 Timothy 1 verse 14, As obedient children, do not conform yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance. Now someone might respond and say that these texts show that the mind of the natural man is ignorant of the truth. But ignorance just means that a man lacks knowledge. If that knowledge were to be supplied, man could then accept it. But scripture teaches us, beloved, that even if the truth is presented to the mind of the natural man, he would not understand it, much less accept it. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Paul does acknowledge that fallen man can know some things about God because certain qualities about God are evident in creation. However, Paul says in Romans 1 that fallen man rejects even those truths about God which are as obvious as the nose on man's face. Paul wrote this in Romans 1, verse 18 to 21. And I quote, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. End of quote. 
So combined with the natural inability of man to understand the truth, there is also the activity of Satan. Paul refers to his activity in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory, gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So it should be clear to you that the mind of fallen man cannot understand and will not accept spiritual truths about God. Neither does the heart of fallen man willingly embrace God in love. Paul says in Romans 5 verse 10 that fallen men are by nature enemies of God. And Jesus said in John 7 verse 7, The world hates me because I testify about it that his, its works are evil. And in John 15 verse 18, Jesus said much the same. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Due to fallen man's darkened mind and due to his hard, hate-filled heart, fallen man does not have the in ability in himself to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said exactly that. When Jesus experienced the unbelief of the crowds who were, heard him preach, he said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. The phrase come to me means to believe in Jesus as the Messiah, the Saviour. Jesus said no one is able to come to him in faith and embrace him as their Saviour unless the Father draws him. The word draw means to exert force contrary to an opposing force. You draw water from a well using a force that is greater than the opposing force of gravity. Jesus said that only those can come to him in faith and accept him as saviour if the Father exerts a greater force on them than the natural force of their depravity. So from where does faith come? Certainly not from within fallen man himself. Fallen man is unable to come to faith of himself. So the question remains, from where does faith come? The Catechism declares, faith comes from the Holy Spirit, and that is entirely scriptural. Through the Holy Spirit, God renews the mind and hearts and opens the hearts so that we are able to understand and believe. Let me show you this to let me show this to you from Scripture. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you understand what Paul is saying? At the beginning of creation, there was only darkness in the world. But God spoke the word and said, Let there be light. And the light dispelled the darkness. In the same way, in the natural man there is only spiritual darkness but God gives the command let there be light and the spirit causes the light to shine in man's mind which dispels the darkness that otherwise pervades man's mind. 
The disciples of Christ, even after Christ's resurrection, could not understand any of the things that Jesus had explained to them earlier. Neither could they make sense of any of the things that had recently happened, such as Christ's crucifixion and his subsequent resurrection from the dead. But Jesus appeared to his disciples and he powerfully illumined their minds. Luke writes in 20, chapter 24, verse 45, Then Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Then they understood. Then they believed. They could not come to faith of themselves. Faith had to be worked in their hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. The same truth becomes apparent when you consider the results of Christ's own ministry on earth. No one could preach like Christ did. Yet during his ministry, so few believed in him and the faith of the few who did believe was weak and poorly formed. But after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, Thousands upon thousands came to believe in Jesus Christ in a matter of days. It is clear that faith comes not from within man himself, but from the Holy Spirit. In Acts 16 verse 14 we read of the Spirit's work in the mind and heart of Lydia. In verse 14, Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us, she was a seller of purple from the city of Tyre, Tyre, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. It is no wonder then that Paul says in Ephesians 2 verse 8 that faith is a gift. Faith is a gift that God freely bestows, not on all men, but upon all those whom he has elected to eternal life. In Acts 13, we read about the response of men to Paul's preaching. Some believed, some did not believe. In verse 48, we read, As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. All those elected to eternal life believed the gospel, and they alone. Faith is a gift that the Holy Spirit bestows freely upon all those whom God has chosen in eternity to receive eternal life. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, beloved? Have you come to Christ in faith and embraced him as your saviour? Then praise God for this saving faith. It is not your own doing, lest you should boast. Have your children come to Christ? Have your grandchildren all praise belongs to God. It's not the results of your efforts or the efforts of the minister or the teachers at our Christian schools. It is the Holy Spirit who works faith in our hearts and in the hearts of our children and grandchildren. All praise and glory belong to God. Is your neighbour or your colleague an unbeliever? Do not be like the proud Pharisee and pray, I thank you, Lord, that I am not like those unbelievers. I have professed my faith in my teenage years. I have kept the faith all my life. No, do not boast. Faith is a gift of God, lest 
any man should boast. Rather, pray for your neighbour or your colleague that God might graciously grant to them the gift of faith as well, so that they might join you in glorifying God for his grace. But do more than just pray for your unbelieving colleague or neighbour. Look for opportunities to share the gospel with them. For the Spirit works faith by means of the scriptures. And that brings us to our second point, the scriptures and the working of faith. No one comes to faith apart from the hearing of the gospel. This is shown in scripture, both by clear statement as well as by examples. Paul clearly states that faith comes from the scriptures. He wrote in Romans 10, How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Notice that Paul writes that faith is worked, not just through the gospel, but through the preaching of the gospel. The Spirit doesn't merely use the scriptures when working faith, but the Spirit uses men to preach and teach the scriptures. In our previous quote from Romans 10, Paul also said, And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And he confirms this in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 21. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So scripture clearly teaches the importance of preaching and teaching the word. In our age there seems to be a growing disdain for the church and for the preaching of God's word. There are some who think they have little need of the church or the preaching of the gospel. They suppose that they can come to faith by just reading the Bible on their own. But the Bible teaches the importance of having men preach the gospel. The great commission given to the church is not to print and distribute Bibles, although that is a good thing. The great commission is for the church to appoint men to go out and preach. Mark quoted these words of Jesus in chapter 16, verse 15. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Christ has gifted the church with preachers and teachers so that the gospel can be preached and taught. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Scripture also shows by example that the Spirit works faith using the preaching and teaching of God's word. When the risen Christ appeared to the two men walking to Emmaus, he opened and explained scripture to them. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The Spirit commanded the evangelist Philip to meet up with the treasurer of the Queen of Ethiopia, 
who was returning from a visit to Jerusalem. Philip did so. When he caught up to the chariot, the Ethiopian was reading the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. This was their conversation. Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture he told him the good news about Jesus. Acts 8 verse 30 to 35. So it's clear from Holy Scripture that the Spirit works faith in the heart using the preaching and teaching of men. And this should make us realise how important it is for us to place ourselves under the preaching and teaching of Holy Scripture at every opportunity. We should also correctly understand that the church service wherein the word of God is preached is the operating theatre of the Holy Spirit. With the sharp two-edged sword of God's word, the Holy Spirit pierces men's consciences, convicts them of their sin, convinces them that Jesus Christ is the only saviour and leads them to confess their faith in the crucified Christ. So who would willingly absent themselves from the church service, knowing that the preaching is the instrument by which the Spirit works faith? Who would want to stay home when he could be sitting under the powerful operation of the Holy Spirit? Who would say that it's enough to go to church once when he has the privilege to enter the operating theatre of the Holy Spirit twice on a Sunday? Only those who have little or no desire for the Spirit to work and strengthen faith in them. Furthermore, it is so important to work with the preaching with your mind and heart and not merely sit in the pew like zombies, allowing the word to enter one ear and exit the other. It is to prepare yourself well on Saturday night so that you come to church refreshed and not fall asleep during the service. What is said about the preaching is also true for the teaching of God's word in the catechism class. The Spirit works faith in the hearts of the covenant youth through the teaching of scripture, using men appointed and anointed for this task. So who would willingly allow their children to stay home from catechism, except for the most serious reason, knowing that the Spirit uses the teaching of God's word to work faith? Who would allow their children to come to catechism or club ill-prepared? Which parents would not use every means possible to have their child instructed in God's word? Only those who are not deeply concerned about their children's salvation. The word of God is the means by which the Holy Spirit works and strengthens faith. But in addition to the word of God and the audible preaching thereof, God has also instituted sacraments for the strengthening of our faith. And this is our third point, the sacraments and the strengthening of faith. The audible preaching of God's word ought to be sufficient for the working and strengthening of faith. 
But the fact is that we are slow to believe. Jesus once addressed this when he said to crowds who followed him in John 4 verse 48, So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Thomas would not believe the good news that Christ had arisen unless he saw the signs of Christ's crucifixion. Jesus said to Thomas, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. No, we shouldn't need signs. However, God grants them to us because he is mindful of the weakness of our faith and our slowness to believe. Throughout the ages, God has given signs as pledges of his promises. God gave Noah and us the sign of the rainbow to confirm the promise that he would never again destroy the world with a worldwide flood. God performed signs for the Israelites in Egypt to convince them that he would deliver them. God granted Gideon's request for a sign with the fleece to verify his promise to Gideon. God gave King Hezekiah a sign on the sundial to confirm his promise that he would deliver his people from the Assyrians. Christ himself performed many signs to authenticate his commission from God as well as prove his divinity. Now Christ has given us two perpetual signs that undergird the word of God, namely baptism and Holy Supper. We call these signs sacraments. The word sacrament is not found in the Bible. It comes from the Latin and refers to an oath or pledge given to assure one's fidelity to a contract or to the demands of office. The the church father, Tertullian, was the first to use this word to refer to baptism and Holy Supper, the two pledges that Christ himself has given to us to assure us of God's faithfulness to the promises contained in his word. The sacraments are signs and seals. Signs teach us things. We put signs on the road to inform us about road conditions or to give us direction. We put signs on buildings to inform us what this building is used for or what service it provides. Signs impart information. In the case of the sacraments, the information provided is not new, nor is it extensive. We do not learn anything from the sacraments that we do not learn from the scriptures. In fact, the sacraments depend on scripture to provide sufficient information to come to faith. No unbeliever will come to know his sin simply by observing the sacraments being administered. No unbeliever will come to know God's plan of redemption in Jesus Christ simply by observing the sacraments. All they would see is a person receiving some drops of water on his head or some people around a table eating a small piece of bread and drinking a small sip of wine. The sacraments depend upon scripture to provide their meaning. The sacraments underline what the scripture teaches. 
It's for this reason that we read forms prior to the administration of the sacraments. These forms summarise what scripture teaches about our sin and about Christ's redeeming work. In addition to being signs, the sacraments are also seals. That is, they are pledges, they are guarantees. And it is especially as seals that sacraments strengthen our faith. God has entered into a covenant with you and with me. He has made promises, not just with all people generally, but with you and me specifically. And God wants to assure us that these promises are truly for us. As surely as we were baptised and as surely as we eat the bread and drink the wine of the Lord's Supper, so surely has God personally promised us salvation in Christ. People have said, I don't get much out of the sacraments. I don't feel that my faith has grown any stronger by the celebration of the sacraments. I would much rather listen to a good sermon. But beloved, we should not be wiser than God, who has instituted the sacraments for the strengthening of faith. We should not think that we know better than God what we need. God has ordained both the audible preaching and the visible administration of the sacraments for the strengthening of our faith. Now we keep saying that the sacraments serve to strengthen us in our faith, but we should qualify that. The sacraments are not intended to strengthen every aspect of our faith. The sacraments are not intended to strengthen our faith regarding God as the creator of heaven and earth through the spoken word in the span of six days. And the sacraments are not intended to strengthen our faith in the providential government of God over the universe. And the sacraments are not intended to strengthen our faith regarding the person and divinity of the Holy Spirit. The scriptures have a very broad focus. The scriptures teach and assure us the truths of all that we confess concerning the Father's work of creation, the Son's work of redemption and the Spirit's work of renewal of creation. The scriptures have a very broad focus and teach us and assure us of many things. But the scriptures have one fo that, sorry, but the sacraments have one focus. They focus upon the redeeming work of our Lord Jesus Christ. They assure us that Christ's sacrifice is the only basis for our salvation. The sacraments teach and assure us that there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved, except that of Christ crucified. The sacraments assure us that we share in Christ's redeeming work, as surely as we share in the sacraments with a believing heart. Is there anyone listening this afternoon who has not yet embraced Jesus Christ in faith? Through the scriptures, God calls out to you, Believe and be saved. Have you already embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour? Then give thanks to God, the Holy Spirit, who has worked this faith in you and who strengthens it by the sacraments. Amen.